You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 137 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. After a week off, it feels like a long time after we did you know, a show a day, basically, for almost a week, but uh, joining me to catch up on sort of what is now the dead season for a little while, uh, Eric Cole. What's up, man? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. You know, it's kind of weird to be kind of in off-season baseball uh, <laughs> since it was a long season, but it was definitely a lot of fun. It was. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about mostly future-facing stuff on this podcast and really for the whole of the off season. But I did, because you weren't on the last show, you know, after the series was technically over, I wanted to see if you had anything left over that you wanted to get out there about how the NLDS went. Obviously, we are now fully in the middle of the NLCS and the ALCS. In fact, we're recording in the middle of the ALCS game right now. But anything you wanted to get off your chest from the NLDS and how that all went down with the Braves, obviously the result was not one that we all loved. But uh, still, I wanted to at least give you the four if you had anything. You know, I mean, as much as I've been maintaining, and I mean, you can attest to it, even the last couple of months, like I kept saying, you know, no matter what, I wasn't going to be disappointed because I mean, <laughs> yes. that they were, that they're this far, and you know, and at the end of the season, at the end of the series, you know, we kind of thought that the Dodgers were going to be a, like they're a bad matchup. They were they're a really good team too, and. I didn't feel any differently, to be honest with you. I mean, we they they took a game from the Dodgers, and it was a a particularly exciting one. Um, that and I mean, the place exploded. I was there. It was unreal when when Acuna hit that grand slam. But I'm I still am just I'm in the same place. I guess is the best way I know how to describe it. Is like I'm really surprised that they got to where they are. They won the division. Division crowns are always good. Um, and this is still probably going to be the worst Braves team we're going to see in the next five years, and there's a lot of things to look forward to, and I'm sure we're going to talk about some of that. But you know, yes, it was it disappointing. Like, obviously, I would prefer the you know the Braves were in the NLCS right now, uh, playing against a Brewers team that I think they match up pretty well against. But I mean, it's hard to be upset. You know, it's just kind of like, well, you know, like at the end of the day, they were exceeded every expectation that I had for them, and I'm happy about it. So, and and um, I kind of feel like you know. I'm now kind of wanting to go into this off season because if anything's making me anxious, it's going to be how that goes and you know what ends up happening there. But I mean, in terms of how this season went and how that series went, somewhat to be expected. Uh, that team was that the Dodgers team. That Dodgers team is really good, and you know, overall, I'm happy. Yeah, I mean, that's a good place to put it. I think I just don't, you know, there isn't too much more to say that we haven't already said. But I know you weren't on the last show, so I wanted to at least put it out there and. Yeah, I mean, that's the best place to put it. We should say that. I think I've been saying it over and over again, but it's worth saying again is just, you know, you have to 
put everything put everything in context and realize that even in the middle of everything when we were kind of you know lamenting stuff and I'm I'm definitely guilty of this about sort of you know a- analyzing every move in the playoffs and all the big picture stuff and just kind of drilling down very uh, very narrowly sometimes in the middle of series and games and that, that kind of stuff but you have to be uh, mindful that basically that what is that went as a season about as well as it possibly could have to be honest with you so yeah it's important to note that and sort of have that be as the backdrop of everything that you're talking about you know obviously stuff that we don't like we're going to share and this is a podcast that I think people know is going to be analytical in nature like we're not going to just come on and be Braves fans like we all want the Braves to do well on this podcast but we're not going to come on and just praise every move and that kind of stuff it's not going to be free PR for the Braves but sure. at the same time at the same time as an awesome season, and that has to be said and emphasized because everything needs to be viewed through that context of what that actually was, which was an unmitigated success. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the the guys that had kind of gotten the team there that we didn't think we were going to do anything that had made a, played big parts in getting them there, you know, the guys like Johan Camargo, Charlie Culberson, you know, those sorts of guys, they didn't do anything in the series. I mean, the bats kind of went quiet and the pitching really struggled. But again, you're going against a Dodgers team that has a really good rotation and a really good lineup. So I'm not willing to draw any conclusions from it, but obviously, you know, it is what it is. It was kind of one of those things where, you know, you got you got cold against a, at the wrong time against a team that is not gonna is not going to let you get by with that. So, you know, again, unfortunate, but I, I don't draw any conclusions from that series other than, you know, it stuck, you know, it stumped. They didn't play particularly well. Uh, and you know that that Dodgers team is really good. So again, um, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily. I'm sure some some people were like calling for like you know talking about Camargo. Well, he lost the starting job for third base and all this other stuff just because he didn't hit. I mean, like it's just nonsense like that. I mean, you you can't you can't draw that many conclusions from that series. Uh, and I didn't see anything particularly glaring, like even on the managerial side. Some things I thought were suboptimal in terms of like decisions and things like that. But they were kind of in a tough spot anyway. And overall, I thought that, you know, in terms of like, you know, what sort of decisions were made, I mean, not all of them were great, but, you know, nothing that made me think, wow, that that just cost us the game. So it kind of is what it is. Yep, and that's a good place to probably probably leave that. We can we, we can sort of look ahead now. Uh, I guess the big story, if there is one, in the last week or so, is that is the status of Brian Snicker. Uh, at this moment, he has not been officially signed to a contract. Uh, just for people that didn't know this, Snicker is not under contract beyond 2018 uh, because of his original deal. He signed was a one year contract with a one year option, and instead of extending him last winter, they just picked up his option, which wasn't exactly a ringing endorsement of Snicker at the time, which wasn't a huge surprise honestly because it was a new regime. He hadn't proven all, all all that much in the way of success um, before that, but now you know I think we're all on the same page that it would be a big surprise if he was not retained. But we don't know what the contract's going to look like, and at this point, you know, as of Sunday night when we're recording this on October fourteenth, Snicker is not technically under contract. So I mean, we can start there, and we'll talk about the coaching staff here in a second. But what would you do with Snicker? Obviously, I think we all kind of know what's coming. But what, what kind of investment um, would you be giving Snicker if you were in charge here? And also. You know, how do you sort of, if you're not the biggest fan of Snicker like I am, for instance, how do you thread that needle where you, you know, you basically have to keep him at this point, but you also don't want to get get in over your head and um, extend him too far. But at the same time, you can't give him a contract that basically just has him hanging out there in the way that he has been for the last year. So it's this really weird balance of a spot where I think everyone kind of knows deep down Snicker's limitations, but he did such a good such a good job in the clubhouse this year. He's been obviously the players love him. So it's kind of a really tough and weird situation, even though we kind of know how it's going to end. Yeah, I'm. I would probably give him a short extension, like a two. I would give him like a two-year deal. Is probably what I would do, because I have, 
I'm, I'm very skeptical that overall what he brings to the clubhouse is going to be outweighed by the fact that – or significantly outweighed by the fact that he – like in terms of his in-game tactical decision-making isn't particularly great. All of that said, I do – I mean he, I don't have any doubt in my mind that he's a net positive on the team. And one thing that you and I have talked about before is that it's not as simple for me in terms of a manager is like you know whether or not I like him or not. Um, like you know, same thing. We, we we had these conversations about Freddie Gonzalez when he was around too, right? Like, who is going to be replacing him down if, if that's the case? Now, if like Joe Madden's available, or like you know one of like the you know the top five, top ten managers in baseball are available, then I'd rather him be managing the Atlanta Braves. I truly do. But at the same time, I mean, there are there is a wide variance in managerial quality. And there's been some really poor ones in Major League Baseball, both this year and the last few years. A lot of young guys that don't really know how to do anything or guys, you know, like old-timey baseball guys, like guys who were, you know, in the organization as players and they just decided that because they won some games managing a AAA affiliate that they could manage the Major League Club, that that, that works. I mean, a lot of those haven't really worked out and those deals don't particularly last, you know, don't last very long. So it depends on who's available for me in terms of like how excited I am about the idea of, of extending Snicker, but the team just won the division. The players do love him. And I think that they'll run through a wall for him. Um, how long that lasts in terms of that level of enthusiasm for, for Snicker and for, you know, his involvement, I honestly don't have an answer to that. So I, I would rather, I don't want to, I think it would be insulting to, to offer him just a one year deal, but at the same time, he, he's not a particularly young guy. He's been in the organization for a long, long time. And, you know, you have to wonder maybe what positives he brings to the table. Like if there is a if there is a time limit on that necessary, you know, what I, you know what I mean? Like it's not as simple as just, well, whenever he's in the game, he will make the right decision each time because that's not what's going to happen with Snicker. But what he does bring is this idea that, you know, his players love him and will run through a wall for him and, you know, will continue to play hard and like him a lot. And it makes a really good clubhouse environment. But that is a much more nebulous and not as necessarily as long-lasting a thing, especially if you're going to be bringing in new players into the clubhouse and whether or not those players really get you know mesh with mesh mesh with Snit and mess with how they're being coached and things like that. I, I wouldn't give them a one. I wouldn't give them a one-year extension because again, I, I just don't one. I don't think I think that'd be a little insulting, and I don't think that would go over particularly well. But I'd give them a two-year deal and you know make, you know make sure that he's you know fairly well compensated for it. Yeah, I don't think you know my thoughts on Snicker are well documented. I don't think you can give him a one-year contract. That's something that's just that's a move you just can't make. Um, maybe especially since you, you just got you just, you just gave him one last. Yeah, year. I mean maybe if you're trying to be if you really don't want to keep him all that much, um, you give him the one year the, the the two-year deal with the option. That's like as bad as it possibly could be, honestly. At this point, if you're going to keep him, you have to give him at least two-year contract. I would imagine. Um, for me, he'd be on a shorter lease than a shorter leash than most. But with that said, you know, I think you're gonna, you would absolutely get a player revolt if you didn't keep him right now. Um, yeah. There was this idea maybe even a month ago that, that the Braves could send him up to the front office in some role. Like you're not firing him, but you're kind of you know promoting him to the front office, even with promotion in quotes. But now after that run, I can't imagine he's not going to be coming back. And he's 62 years old, so kind of just follow that away as something to keep in mind for the future um, that he may not be on this long-term deal. But still, like, I think he's going to be – around um for a while so we'll see how that's handled moving forward um you know to the coaching staff a little bit um the delay in announcing anything about coaching staff is kind of has my um 
my interest peaked a little bit. There was a little bit of rumbling at the end of the season, um, at the end of the playoff series, I should say, especially that there could be changes coming on the on this on the staff. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that I've heard anything, but the delay in not saying anything about the, about the staff makes me think it's much more likely about the coaching staff than it is about about the manager. So I'm almost I'm almost expecting uh, at least one or two changes on, on the coaching staff. We just don't know at this point in time. And again, we're recording this Sunday night on October 14th, so maybe they, maybe they announce it Monday morning, as would be uh, typical of this podcast recording. But um, I mean, are you expecting something to change on, on the staff somewhere? And if you, if that is the case, what would you guess? I mean, it is a guess, at least at least for me, it would be. But I, 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 have you heard anything? Any any rumblings, or what are you kind of seeing uh, in terms of the coaching staff? Um, well, actually, it just came over uh, as we were recording this that uh, Alex Anthopoulos has media availability at eleven o'clock tomorrow. You're kidding me. Yeah, no, it uh, just came over. So uh, what I imagine that's going to be is you know Snicker being extended in some form or fashion. Yeah. If I'm if I'm guessing. Maybe Chuck Hernandez and Kevin Seitzer uh, would would be gone. Not because I mean Seitzer has done good things, particularly for like Kurt Suzuki, and there's been some other guys that he's made some positive adjustments for. But you know maybe some of the some of the coaching for some of the offensive players, like you know whether it be Dansby or whether or not like things are sticking with Ozzy, um, things like that. Um, maybe that there's another guy that. Anthopoulos likes more in that role, or maybe even you know maybe Snicker even likes more in that role. Um, and same thing with Chuck Hernandez, the pitching staff, particularly the bullpen. I mean, maybe you get rid of the bullpen coach too, but you know, it's kind of you know the walks were a real thing, and maybe there needs to be a change in approach and a change in using the information that's available um, to make those adjustments and to ultimately you know put less guys on base, which is you know going to be a positive development regardless. So um, I could see those two changes. I don't think EY is going anywhere. <laughs> Uh, he's uh, the if one thing the one thing that Braves did consistently all year long is like take extra bases and and were really good on the base paths and he was a big part of that and Ron Washington you know it seems to be one very well liked and the Braves were one of the best team, defensive teams in baseball this year and you know particularly in the infield he was a big part of that so I don't think those two guys are anywhere but if like someone is leaving um, unless they're leaving for like another job or they're one they're they're maybe they don't want to be in the current roles that they are in. Um, looking mostly at Ron Washington's way on that one. Uh, I could see that one or both of Chuck Hernandez and, and Kevin Seitzer go, but it's not, I, I don't feel particularly strongly about either of those, uh, but I, I'm with you. I mean, I think that when 11 o'clock rolls around tomorrow, I mean, Brian Stettner's going to be extended. Yeah, I think we're all kind of in agreement on that, and it would be an absolute stunner if it didn't happen. Um, you know, the staff... I think I think it's interesting that you're referencing, you know, pitching and hitting coaches. You don't normally see a team that had the Braves kind of success turn over both of those spots. I guess it's possible that that, that could happen, but that would just be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Like to change over your two most prominent um, assistant, I guess, you know, coaches, non-managers, I should say, on the staff um, after that kind of season would be weird. It wouldn't be bad necessarily, just kind of strange in a lot of ways. Yeah, if I'm if I'm leaning one way it's probably going to be Chuck Hernandez that would be that would be let go again if anyone lets go. I mean it's not even a guarantee that they would be, right? But Right. It, it, it's more of a because the the changes in the front office and the way it was handled is that you know all of these were kind of one year let's see how it works out type type things and I think that if it's very possible that Anthopoulos would be like, hey, I, I, it's not. This isn't a measure of the player's performance on the field. There's just a kind of philosophy and a way in which we want things done from here on out. And if that if that's the case, then it's entirely possible Kevin Seitzer would be gone. And I mean, Anthopoulos has already let Kevin Seitzer go once in his career because Seitzer sure. was in Toronto. So it's not, you know, again, I don't feel like there's an attachment there uh, or anything like that. So. 
because there's not an attachment to Seitzer in the, as, in the coaching staff, there's – how do I put it? It's not as simple as just the performance of the players on the field in terms of evaluating the, the, a guy as a coach. It's just whether or not that as an organizational philosophy because we've already seen it in the minor leagues where a lot of guys were let go. So we'll see. I mean I'm not – I'm not wedded to the idea one way or the other, but I could definitely see some changes being made on both sides of the ball, even though it would look a little weird. Yeah, I mean, I, again, not not wouldn't be a surprise, I guess, at this point in time. Just kind of a weird uh, segment there when it comes to uh, just the breakdown of what you would normally associate with, with an overachieving team versus what the Braves uh, might actually do here. Uh, all right, we can move on from there. I think this podcast will be woefully out of date in about 12 hours, which is what always happens. Um, but alas, uh, moving on to some player stuff, um, a couple of just quick hitters here. Um, Nick Markekis is the only player on the roster that um, I guess could have received a qualifying offer within reason, and it looks like that's not going to happen from multiple sources. John Heyman and a couple of others reporting that won't happen. No big surprise there, but um, good opportunity to talk about Markekis a little bit. Um, obviously, you know the, the nearly $18 million for one year would have been a violent overpay for Markekis, um, but I mean, it's very early. We're going to talk about him again, I'm sure, but what is your early feeling on Markekis, what his market might be? and how urgent the, uh, the Braves might have to bring him back if they are able to do so. I feel like the market for Mercakis isn't going to be one that's going to be – if once he's a, a free agent, I think that the Braves, depending on how their other free agent targets go, it's not a done deal that he's no longer going to be a Brave. Uh, it felt like in his kind of his exit interviews that maybe he was kind of hinting that you know this team has a bright future, but he didn't necessarily put himself as a part of that future. Maybe he wants to. Maybe he wants to go back to Baltimore for whatever reason. I'm not really sure why, since that organization seems like it's a total dumpster fire. Um, but I could see him coming back, depending on where the other money, where the money goes this offseason. But I don't feel like he's a guy that's going to be signed super quick. Like they want to get, he wants to get snatched off the market because he's an older guy. Had a really good first half this this season. Really kind of fell off, you know, fell off in the second half, and there were already concerns that. He was not going to be a guy that could consistently produce at the plate uh, and in the field for that matter, um, especially as he gets older. So could I see him as a Brave in 2019? Sure, I could see it possibly happening. I don't think it's super likely. I think that the Braves will target a guy maybe like an A.J. Pollock or maybe even a Bryce Harper, but I think more on that, that Pollock or maybe a little bit of a lesser like outfield free agent type or a trade, And in which case you kind of start running out of spots for him to play and based on – most of what we've seen from him in his tenure in Atlanta, his offensive upside is limited and his defensive upside is limited. I mean, there's there was definitely a chunk this year where he was one of the best players on the team, you know, a viable MVP candidate at times, but that I'm not willing to ignore the rest of it, in particular how the season ended where he wasn't particularly good offensively. So I can see it possibly him possibly coming back. Uh, I didn't think there was any world, especially the way the season ended, that he was going to get the qualifying offer. It might have if he had continued to hit like he did in the first half, it would have made it might it got a little more interesting. But I just yeah. don't see it happening. Um, but after the way the season ended and the way he played in the second half, I just don't see it happening. Um, got an All Star berth this year. Uh, I, I'm sure he'll be employed by a major league baseball club um, this next season. But sure. I don't necessarily think that for what he is and where the Braves are right now, it's necessarily a great fit. So. Um, I think it's likely that we won't see him in a Braves uniform anymore. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, I think. I mean, it wouldn't stun me beyond belief, but 
I am obviously in the camp that they shouldn't be paying him starter money anymore. Um, you know, it's well documented. He was incredible for about a month and a half at the beginning of the season and then kept up a little bit after that. But, you know, if you take the numbers from like early May to the end of the year, he was basically a league average hitter, which is what he's been his whole career. Uh, not his whole career, but his whole Braves tenure. Um, and that is uh, a guy you can't afford to pay big money to when you are in this sort of youth movement and all that fun stuff. So, I mean, if he'd be, you know, willing, willing to take a discount, which I can't imagine he probably is likely to do, but maybe if he just wants to stay in Atlanta, you bring him back in this like weird, you know, fourth outfielder role, like hybrid. Sure, but I, I don't want, I, I mean, if you're a Braves fan, I, I can't imagine you wanting, I know people do want this, but uh, wanting Nick Markakis as your everyday right fielder next year doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I mean, if, I guess if you strike out everywhere else and it's like Markakis or other similar options, maybe you get the guy you already know and that, it's, that you know you like in the clubhouse and all that stuff. There is value in that to a certain extent, leadership and all those things that he's been credited with. But um, you have to, at some point, look for an upgrade, and that's one of the obvious spots to do it. There's only so many spots on this team right now that, you, that are clear upgrade opportunities in the, in the lineup. You know, obviously, Fre- Freddie Freeman's not going anywhere. Ozzy Alves isn't going anywhere. Ronald Acuna isn't going anywhere. Um, you know, there's other spots you can sort of look at. I don't think Nesby Swanson is going to go anywhere either. All those fun places. But, I mean, you know, it's you know as we've been talking about forever, it's third base, right field. And Camargo was so good this year at, you know, they may not do that either, especially with Austin Riley coming. So right field is like the glaring obvious place, you know, barring some sort of trade or some weirdness that they can look for an upgrade. Um, and without getting into Bryce Harper or any of, the, any of those names that we talk about, Marquecas just isn't someone who profiles as a every single day starter right now. And I know he played every single day, and there's there's some value in that too, the durability and all that stuff. But I just don't think a team that's trying to contend for a World Series wants to be playing wants to be playing him every single day and paying him the money that's requisite of that. Yeah, and I mean, and there very well could be a team that's kind of maybe in the like middling, like a 500 team that just needs a guy that will consistently, you know, hit doubles, hit for a reasonable average, and get on base. You know, they just need somebody to kind of get them a little bit closer. It won't be extraordinarily expensive. Again, I I don't think he's gonna get particularly big money or anything like that, and which is why the Bird Braves may ha- may end up circling back on him, just because like you know if they end up get spending big money at another position or they make a trade that takes on a big contract or something, I mean those things could reasonably happen. In which case, making bringing back Marquez makes sense. It's just we don't really know what the lineup and what the offseason moves are going to be. There's so many different options out there uh, that are even like are already being hinted about, and that doesn't include the ones that you know that are you know, Alex Anthopoulos and a GM whispering in a dark alley somewhere so that no one knows that they had that conversation. Right. Um, you know, and it's, it's not a, it's not, it's not an easy thing to project because I don't, you don't want to say never. Cause I mean, it's not, it's not that Nick Markakis is like the worst player in baseball, but it's just that there's a, there's definitely an opportunity to upgrade there, particularly with who's on the market and who they could potentially acquire in trade. The Braves could go, you know, they have the prospect to go just about go after just about anyone they want to. Um, and if you're thinking that you can really upgrade there, I mean, ultimately that's your ultimately that's your cleanup hitter hit, hitting in right field right now, and it's Nick Markakis. And second half Nick Markakis in the cleanup spot wasn't particularly Oof. pleasant. Yeah, yeah, wasn't particular wasn't particularly pleasant at times. So you hope that there would there there would at least be exploring those options. But it's entirely possible that they won't be able to get the guys they want. And if they can't, then you know there's definitely worse things ha- than having Nick Markakis there. But you kind of want to hopefully see some upgrades. And I'm I'm with you. That seems like a pretty clear place where they could they could feasibly do it. Yep, it's time to go do it, and uh, we'll see what happens. I, I mean, we'll obviously have more conversations about Marquecas and right field in the, in the future, but the qualifying offer thing was never likely to happen after about, I don't know, 
July. Um, it, it seemed like it seemed during his during the heights of Marcus Mania in May that you might um, that might have actually been in play. But once he regressed, that was never going to be a thing, and it's not a thing. Um, as we can just sort of leave it there for now. Um, two other quick things on the current roster, at least the. 2018 roster. Um, Anibal Sanchez looks like he's going to keep pitching. There was some rumblings that he might retire, but it looks like he doesn't want to do that. Wants to pitch somewhere in 2019. And then Kurt Suzuki, uh, per Gabe Burns, good friend of the program, uh, is interested in staying in Atlanta. Although um, there's some weirdness there because they've already played, they've already paid Tyler Flowers for next year and. I know Braves fans are not necessarily thrilled with this, um, but the only way basically to keep Suzuki would be to have the same platoon again, which isn't the worst thing in the world. Suzuki and Flowers have provided great value at a ver- at a very low cost in the past. There's just not too much sexiness with that pairing. So uh, both those things, I'll kind of just open the floor to you on Anibal, whether that be worth like you know maybe maybe asking him to come back at a semi-reasonable rate. And then, of course, Suzuki, um, who would be a nice bargain basement catching option, but at the same time, I think the Braves might have higher aspirations. Anibal is kind of in the same boat as Marquez in that he performed very well this year. I have no like no no like for what he was just a signing in, out of spring training and he came in and not only pitched in eight innings but like was one of the Braves' better pitchers this year. And I I do not want to discount that, but he is older. He was already thinking he was already thinking about retirement, which tells you exactly where he thinks he is in his career, let alone what the rest of the league thinks he is. But he's also a guy that's coming off a very decent year, and he might end up again a team that just needs a third or a fourth pitcher that can put up quality innings and that can kind of get them over the hump versus the Braves who have what seems like three dozen pitching prospects that could feasibly be in the contention for the rotation next year. I mean, you have Mike Soroka, you have Mike Soroka who is throwing in instructionals right now uh, and hopefully will be health, healthy and he could jo- rejoin the rotation. We don't really know what's going to be happening with Julio Tehran. Then we have Fulty who's not going anywhere. And then you have, you have Newcomb and you have Tukey and you have Kyle Wright and you have, I mean, there's, there's a ton of names that are going to be competing for rotation spots, and do you really want to lock down one of your spots with Anibal Sanchez for, versus a guy who has versus a guy who might have more upside? And you're kind of playing with fire with Anibal because he kind of throws you know ninety to ninety to ninety two. He's pretty good at painting the corners, and he kept the ball in the park this year. But he's had problems with the home run balls in the past, and if he starts leaving that over the middle of the plate, then he's going to start getting rocked, and you don't really want to find that out. And lock down, lock, locking down both any mu- amount of money as well as a rotation spot when you have so many options available to you. There are organizations that, for a guy like Anibal, who maybe wants to pitch one or two more years, um, and again, it's kind of hard to gauge exactly how much longer he'd be in the league, but that that's a better situation for him. Whereas here, the one place that the Braves aren't necessarily hurting is starting pitching. You know, at least for options. Um, not all of those will work out just because that's just the way it works. Uh, the world is a dark and terrible place in terms for pitching and things like that, but. You know, there's a lot of options available, and they can turn, they can change a lot of guys out and, and make things work, and maybe even get some more upside there. So, yeah, I I do think, um, and I, I know you're not saying this. There's I, I'm actually making fun of other people on this one, but there's this notion that that teams only need five starting pitchers, <laughs> and it's like. Uh, no, teams need a lot more than that. Uh, even the best teams, uh, it's very, very rare these days for a team to navigate a season with only five starting pitchers. Uh, injuries are going to happen, and workload stuff's going to happen, and I do think there's there's um, reason to promote some quality depth, and Anibal would be that. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that you don't want to give him a rotation spot and just say, here it is, and it's you know, you're know you sort of unchallenged.
challenged. I think if Sanchez were brought back on a fairly you know reasonable rate and given the opportunity to compete, that would be totally fine with me. I mean, I think the Braves probably have higher aspirations, as we talked about earlier with with right field and other places. They might get into the into the derby with a more established with a more established guy, whether it be in free agency with like Patrick Corbin or maybe it'd be a trade with somebody else. But if they don't do that. I mean, I don't hate signing a veteran of some sort to just provide stability because I know you have all the all the all the young guys, and in a perfect world, this rotation is chock full of young guys. But if they go ahead and move on from Julio Tehran, there's been a lot of speculation about that. We'll kind of save that for later. But if they were to do that, you don't really have that like safe veteran on this roster. Um, so maybe it's not Anibal, but he might be a guy to a sort of a candidate to fill that role. I think there's a lot of variance in him that I don't love, frankly. Like I'd almost rather just hang on to Tehran, who we kind of know what he's going to be, um, more more so than Anibal, who was like virtually out of the league, like very recently. Obviously, he was very good this year, was better than Tehran this year. Um, but at the same time, Anibal Sanchez has been a very up and down pitcher, and as you mentioned before, it's kind of like he has to be the best version of himself. Like if he starts to miss in in, in various ways, he can be really bad in a hurry, and that's kind of scary for a depth guy. So. I mean, all, all told, like it kind of depends on price. If you're getting him for cheap, yep. then sure, bring him back, and it's quality depth. I mean, but if, if you're not, then no thanks. And one, and one thing that makes it might maybe even more likely that Anibal will be back versus maybe a Marcakis. And again, I think they're kind of in the same boat. Is that like it wouldn't be crazy if he came back, but I just don't think it's likely. It's that Anibal has showed both shown a willingness to come has shown a willingness to come out of the bullpen as a kind of a long man type. And if, you know, if he needs to, st- if someone needs to make a spot start, you know, if, you know, Fulty needs to miss a start or, you know, someone else in the rotation is going to miss a little bit of time. You don't feel bad putting Anibal Sanchez on the, on the mound just to kind of eat a few starts. You know what I mean? Again, I just, I think you're right in that, you know, have, get as many arms as you can because he came off a good year though. I do wonder if maybe he's going to want, want and or command a mark have a market that's going to be a little bit too pricey for the Braves' interests. He, he should, by the way. I mean, this, this yeah. is probably. I mean, maybe not. Maybe it might. It might not be. But this might be his best chance to make one more like decent wage, and that's good. I mean, honestly, as we talked about, both of us, he was very good. So if if a team wants to pay him like he's twenty eighteen, Anibal Sanchez, he should be leaving the Braves. That's that's it. that's in his best interest to leave, and the Braves should just say, you know, thank you for your service and let him go. Um, but that worked if, out for if, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> right. If the mar- if the market's not there, then yeah, come you know have a conversation and say, Anibal, we'd like to have you back at this number. And if he doesn't want it, then he doesn't want it. But yeah, if they if 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 you're paying market value, I don't want any part of Anibal Sanchez, honestly. Absolutely. And as for Kurt Suzuki, I want him back, but he hits well enough as a catcher that I do worry that his market will get a little little bit too pricey for what the Braves are wanting to pay him too. I don't know what, what exactly his what would be a fair rate for what he does. But the guy can hit, and he's really good at hitting fastballs, particularly. Um, I don't. I'm not necessarily a big fan of his receiving as a catcher, but you know he seems to. He works really well with Flowers in managing the pitching staff. Um, again, the receiving not particularly great, but and you know defensively he's not particularly awesome. But he's really I got, good. I got a lot of heat, by the way. Um, actually, I'm not, I'm not sure if you did. Um, on on our playoff podcast, I got a lot of heat for suggesting that he wasn't a good defender. And it's like, guys, he he used to be a long time ago. He's not a good defender. Like this is no. not up for debate. Honestly, and, he's not no. a good defender. And 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 to be honest with you, that's okay. Like it's, right, it's fine. If you're if you're not a great defensive catcher and you can't frame pitches to save your life, you have to be able to hit, and, and he, he can, and that's yeah. fine. <laughs> uh, Flowers couldn't really hit very well, but and you know throwing out base dealers is a little dicey, but you know he. You know, he frames pitches really well, manages the pitching staff really well. Um, again, I have no problems with both of these guys coming back. 
I don't want them for a particularly high rate. Um, obviously, Flowers has already has signed his extension. There's already been some talk that you know the Braves should try to go after GT Real Muto. I maintain that the Marlins are going to try to get half the Braves' farm system, which maybe that's what they should be asking for for JT Real Muto, but that's a really high price to pay, and if that's maybe not where you think you're the, the best use of your resources should be and you should put them towards you know, you know, know, other positions or the rotation or the bullpen or wherever, then you know you can do a lot worse than you know having Kurt Suzuki and Tyler Flowers. Again, with both guys, you're kind of playing with father time a little bit because these are all guys that are not – they're not young guys and catchers. They wear down, you know, more more so than a lot of other positions. And you don't want to necessarily have them turn into a pumpkin in the middle of your season because it's hardest to go pick up another catcher that can do the job. I don't have yeah. a I don't have a great answer there, but other than to say that I could I am also interested in having Kurt Suzuki stay in Atlanta Braves, but I also think that there, he's going to get a catcher is such a position of scarcity in Major League Baseball, particularly got ones that can hit. That I, I, he's definitely gonna get some phone calls. Be like, hey, would you? We would love to have you play here for this number, and that number may be too much for the Braves to even, you know, try to approach to, you know, try to even, you know, talk about a little bit of a hometown discount because you can't reasonably expect a guy who's, you know, not gonna be playing in five years. I would imagine, you know, to, oh, no to turn down the <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean like, spe- speaking of guys who might have one last payday, this is it for Kurt Suzuki. There's no question yeah. about that, honestly. So. Yeah, I mean, I again, blame him for going away. Yeah, I mean, a, a one or a two year deal or something like that for Suzuki. That's not that's perfect. And he signed a his when he signed his his one year extension. It was it was a, at a reasonable rate, and I was totally fine with it. And I'd be happy with the do that to do it again. I just again, I just don't know exactly what number is going to be reasonable for him. He's an older catcher, but he also he can still really hit. So yeah, it all it all honestly comes down to what the Braves' plans are, big picture, because. There is absolutely nothing wrong with a with a catching tandem of Flowers and Suzuki for like seven eight million dollars total. That is nope. really really good value. But I also see the scenario where the Braves might want to go out and and improve on that and have Flowers be their you know thirty percent catcher versus their fifty fifty catcher. If they go out and get Real Muto or someone in that caliber, then yeah, you don't want Kurt Suzuki back because you know then Tower Flowers is the best backup catcher in the league if he becomes that. Um, but if, if they're like tandem starters, that's not the worst thing in the world. So the Braves kind of nope. can't lose there. The only way they can is if they don't bring Suzuki back and then they don't get anybody else. That way it gets kind of tricky in a hurry because Flowers, um, I have always defended, I think he's very good. But I don't think you want him to be like a number one by himself catching option on a contender. Uh, I think, you know, the fact that they're kind of doing that like 60-40, 50-50 thing with, with Suzuki and Flowers has worked out very well because both of them have been very good. If Flowers is now your 70-30 or higher catcher, then it isn't quite as fun, honestly. But yeah, I'm, I'm totally fine with the tandem, and I'm totally fine with them taking a run at somebody better. So uh, they kind of can't lose, hopefully, on that spot. <laughs> they uh, can, but it, they hopefully can. it doesn't happen. Yeah, but having Flowers, just it, this is one of the reasons I like that Flowers deal, is that he provides you some stability. Like, if you lose Suzuki, at the worst, Tyler Flowers is your starter. And by the way, Tyler Flowers is probably an average or better starter. Uh, around the yeah. league because catching is really ugly in most places and tower flowers provided he just is what he's been the last couple of years you know mash mash against lefties you know be a, be a great receiver obviously he's one of the he's one of the worst throwers in the league which is something we have to at least acknowledge i know you said it earlier um he's bad at that but it does not mean him that he's a bad defender he's very good at everything else except for throwing so there you go on that and he's just fine as a starter if you have to go that way um 
All right, let's kind of transition to our last thing. Um, there was there's been a lot of discussions, particularly on Sunday, about the Braves and kind of how much money they could spend. Um, this, started, this started again on Sunday with a Dave O'Brien uh, tweet. Uh, he of the Athletic, um, he he he's bored. He basically was saying that he thinks there'd be more in the thirty to thirty-five million dollar range of available of available money for the Braves, and with that still representing an uptick in salary, which I don't really understand how that math works. Um, and then. There was a lot of pushback from others and me and other, other people on that. But I, mean, I think it's probably a good time to kind of go down the list on what the Braves have committed. Just kind of feel like we can figure out an approximate number the Braves could be willing to spend. I know we've kind of written about this and talked about this on the site and do other, other things, but it's probably a good spot to do it here. So I figure we go one by one as to how we get to the number that we get to. Uh, first of all, the Braves have five, you know, bigger money contracts already signed for 2019, and that is Freddie Freeman, Ender, Ender Inciarte, Julio Tehran, Tyler Flowers, and the great Darren O'Day, who people have forgotten, people keep keep forgetting about, who the Braves took on that. I think it's like nine million dollars for the 2019 season as part of that deal for Kevin Gosman. Um, those five guys make approximately 50 million dollars. That includes Freeman's big number, and then Inciarte and Tehran are making decent money. Flowers and O'Day, so that's 50 million for five guys, which which doesn't seem great, and then you realize that most guys on this roster are making very, very little. But um, So that's $50 million. File that away. And then you have all of the arbitration guys. I'm going to use the handy cheat sheet of MLB Trade Rumors did this. Um, basically, without going through all of them, they have, I believe it is 10? 1, 2, 4, 5, 6... Yes, 10 guys uh, headlined by Kevin Gosman and Mike Fultonavich and Aroides Vizcaino. And those 10 guys um, for arbitration, they're projecting about $29.9 million. Uh, so we'll say $30 million for those guys. That also includes Adam Duvall, which might not happen because it's about $3, about $3 million there, and he was very, very bad in Atlanta. So that, that's one that's not a lock by any means. They have Dan Winkler, Johnny Venters, Sam Freeman, Charlie Culberson for very cheap. And then you have a couple of guys who are very, very cheap, and Jose Ramirez and Jacob Lindgren, who are uh, question marks to be sure. But some more in the $30 million range. So that is 15 guys for about $80 million. Then you have all of the guys who we know will be there, all the guys on arbitration deals, very you know pre-arbitration deals, I should say, you know Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies and um, Johan Camargo, Dansby Swanson, guys who are making basically nothing at this point, about $600,000 for this for the season. That's very, very helpful. Um, so with all that said, it kind of gets dicey after this. So that's the $80 million that we kind of know about, at least somewhere in that range. And then you have the possibility of extensions, which is the biggest question. I think that's something that David Bryan was at least trying to acknowledge, is that they could extend guys like Acuna and Albies or even someone like Newcomb or even someone like Camargo or Swanson. That's that's possible. I think it's not super likely that any of those get done, especially with Acuna. It's a big, you're probably talking about big money for him considering his status. Maybe Albies might be the most likely candidate, at least if it, if it was my idea of what it would be likely. But all that to say, there's some wiggle room here. And the Braves payroll this year was interesting in that they had a lot of money committed. It was like the end of the season with like 115 million in committed salaries, and they, then they took on money mid-season, and it was all these partial deals, whether it be O'Day for half season and Gosman for half a season, and you know Lucas Duda for half a season, and Adam Duvall for half a season. So it's more like. I don't know. I'm not sure if, you've ever, if, you've, if we've actually seen the final number of what the Braves ended up paying in payroll. It's more than they started with, that's for sure, because it took on some money. But uh, there is some discussion about whether they're going to pay more. All of the party lines from Liberty, from Liberty Media and Alex Anthopoulos is that the team is going to probably spend more in 2019. The question is how much more, and that's where we come back to here. So I know I've just, I've just said a lot of information uh, all in one go, but where are you on this whole thing? I mean, 
is there really going to be 30 million? Is it 40 million? Is it 50 million in available money? How much does that factor in? Because I think, you know, most of the big money arbitration guys, Gosman, Fultonavich, and Vizcaino are going to be coming back. They're not going to non-tender any of those guys. So, you know, we're kind of committed. They're kind of committed to 70 plus million dollars for sure. And, you know, 10, 15 guys. And then after that it gets interesting. So where are you on this whole argument? Are you worried about the Braves not having as much money as people once thought they were going to have? And uh, how does that really factor in into what they're going to do this winter? Uh, no, I don't. I think that I think that there is going to be an expansion in the payroll. I don't think it's going to be crazy. I still think it's going to be in that 40 to 50 million dollar range. I even if they were to, for example, extend Acuna, I don't think that's going to be in twenty nineteen dollars. I think that's going to be, you know, kind of yeah, maybe buying. He might, he might get he might get a bonus, but it won't be a big, uh, big, yeah. big early influx. I wouldn't imagine. Yeah, and I, you know, it'd probably be like making those, you know, maybe one of those last, you know, one or two arbitration years. You know, he ends up getting paid more, which makes a ton of sense to do because obviously Ronald Acuna is great. Same thing with Ozzy Albies and those guys like that. Um, I still think it's going to be in the forty to fifty million dollar range. I just I don't understand the math that O'Brien's doing to get to a, a number that's around thirty million, unless he thinks that they're going to try to you know start paying you know someone ten million dollars a year like an Acuna or an Albies right away. Um, that, that was my thing, and that's I'm not, and we're not going to try to pick on Dave O'Brien or anybody else on this, but I just don't see a scenario where they only add thirty million dollars and then. They're talking about it like it's going to be a pay increase because that's that's the, yeah. that was the whole the whole prism was that this is a situation where Liberty is going to be adding payroll and it's like well no not if they only spend thirty more thirty million more dollars because they have a lot of money coming off the books and I know I understand some of the arbitration increases that you're going to be having like Kevin Gosman for nine million you know t- takes up a lot of that chunk Fulty for about five and a half six somewhere in there but you're still taking off you know guys like Adrian Gonzalez and Scott Casimir and Brandon McCarthy and Nate Markakis and all these guys who are making eight figure salaries you know the math just doesn't add up until you get at least north of 40 million dollars in available room barring some weird extensions exactly um, a few just my thoughts on general general guys in terms of what this list is I am not sold whatsoever and I think it might be turning towards unlikely that Julio Tehran is on this roster next year which is a non-zero amount of money that come that comes off the books for the Braves. So you, now you don't know what those trades are in terms of what money comes back and things like that. But it's I I think it's very possible that Julio Tehran is not going to be being paid by the Atlanta Braves next year. Um, I think it's possible that Fult- that Fulte's arbitration number will be a little bit higher than five point five million because he pitched so well this past year. I do want to highlight the fact that Johnny Venters is arbitration eligible, which is hilarious to me considering how long he's been in the league. He's not a young the, man. Honestly. No, he is not. Uh, but with all of his injuries and stuff, um, that said, I'm happy to have him back on the team. It's it's kind of one. It's really kind of cool that you know coming back from four arm injuries that you know normally after the second one, you know it would most guys' careers would be over, and he came back and pitched the way he did. That, that that's just a minor miracle. Um, in terms of Jose Ramirez and Jacob Lindgren, I mean Lindgren's still rehabbing from Tommy John, and we don't even know what he's going to look like when he comes back. And Jose Ramirez missed most of the season with injuries, so. Again, not entirely unlikely. It's only they, a million those, three combined with those two guys' projection, so it doesn't really think, matter all that much. It, but yeah. it's, it's it's not so much the money is that I'm not even sure if they're good enough to make roster the team spots. anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's more of a roster spot issue for me. And same thing with like an, an Adam du, Adam Duvall type, where I we have seen him be a very good baseball player, but he was not for the Braves, and 
maybe it's maybe it's just that he's not happy in Atlanta, or maybe it's just not something that's going to work out. And maybe well, the there, Braves... there's a real there's a real decision. If it's th- if it's going to be three million dollars, that's that's a real decision. Like it's not yeah. like he's making them. If he's making the minimum, you just keep him for sure. But three million dollars is like a real amount of money. You have to make a, a choice on. It's not a no brainer like we thought it was going to be because that was part of the that was part of the sell. By the way, when they traded for him, was like he was under contract for a long uh, under uh, under control, I should say, for a long time. And that kind of goes out the window if you're not ready to pay him three million three million this year, and maybe they're not because I and, I mean and, it's tough to argue that he's that he earned it when he when he came over from Cincinnati. And, even though I defended that deal a lot. And I imagine that these arbitration numbers might have been generated a little bit earlier. And considering sure, I mean, how and how how, sure. how Duvall these are just projections. These are just like yes. guesses. And Duvall did not play well in Cincinnati, particularly well in Cincinnati, and played particularly poorly in Atlanta, uh, which may mean that that number comes down a bit, which makes it more manageable. But whether or not that that causes acrimony on both sides and all this other stuff, you know, it th- that's an entirely different co- situation. My my general point is that I would be shocked if the Braves don't have about about forty five, forty seven million dollars to play with, and they could go over that. I mean, a playoff run adds dollars. I mean, adds adds profit to your bottom line. That when September, when everyone else is playing for the playoffs, and you know you're you're kind of playing out the string, your attendance numbers. Are vastly different, and you're gonna, and you're gonna, that's gonna be reflected in your overall profit margins and things like that. Now, there was a pretty interesting article about uh, some time ago about you know the, the amount that the, of debt that, from the stadium and all that stuff that the Braves accrue, and Bra- Major League Baseball doesn't like ha- players uh, teams to exceed a certain amount of that, which is why that that they didn't add as much payroll this past season um, versus the um, versus what we hoped that they would, but. It was pretty clear in the middle of the season, like they didn't have any problems adding any other payroll and things like that. So I could see it; it's entirely possible that they could go even over that forty-five to forty-seven million. And I think it just depends on who becomes available and who they want to target. Um, I, I take them for at their word that you know if the right deal presents themselves, they will do it. But I think they also have a very set idea, especially with a guy like Alex Anthopoulos at the helm, is that they have a very set idea as what they value, who they who they value and for how much and then if they can get if they can either get a deal on a guy that they would value higher than maybe another team would and you know be able to scoop scoop them up and you know get excess value there versus you know maybe say there's a Bryce Harper that they they like him a lot but they're only willing to pay him 2.28 million dollars a year or something like that and he's you know he's asking for 35 then you just can't do it if you're if you if you adhere to that like that sort of this is what we value this is what we value at and we will pay you this much not just overpaying just to add a guy that has a name that you recognize in the back of a jersey. If if the, if the Braves go by that, I have no issues. But if they're just if they end up on the flip side of all this, if they end up not adding real payroll or if they even like scale back payroll at all, I have no problems at all with Braves fans rioting on social media and <laughs> yes. being upset because because that that would be ridiculous. Because again, this is a team that just won the division, and if they're actually like trimming down, like not you know, giving payroll bump or even scaling it back a little bit, which is kind of what, it, based on the, the basic math here, that's what O'Brien would be suggesting. I, I have no problems whatsoever people being really upset about that because they should be. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I can't imagine a scenario where it's only $30 million or so. Um, but, you know, maybe things get weird. I just think that if you if they don't show... For better or worse, this may be irrational, but if, if they don't spend more than they spent this year, People are going to be very, very upset, and it's tough to talk them out of that because, at a minimum, they made a lot more money this year on on the actual baseball product because of you know the attendance being way up and two playoff games where they're basically just printing money with playoff stuff and revenue and all, all the extra revenue. Um, so 
all that, all that with, with that combined with the fact that they're now trying to win full scale. Like in the, you know last year entering the season, we thought you know maybe they make a move or two that helps them get better, but it wasn't going to be like we're competing. Look at us, and now they are, and everyone knows it. So I just can't imagine a scenario where they do that and people aren't upset. It just can't you know it's going to happen. People are going to be really mad if they don't spend more money. There's going to be if if it happens, and again, I don't think it's going to happen. If, I think that they're if they don't, I, yes, but. If in the same year the Braves don't increase their payroll and they don't sign their first round pick, there's going to be people asking for Alex Anthopoulos' head on a pike, which is insane. And, but yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I get that. And I by mean, the way, we, we should know we should know that he, um, the general manager, only has so much power. I know he's in charge, but if the if the ownership comes back and says this is your number, he has to stick to it. So. Yep. We'll never know, and it's something I will always say. It's sort it's kind of the same thing with managers. Like there's stuff that we're just never going to know. This is the same thing with front office people and the and ownership. And 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 Alex Anthopoulos is not going to come out and say this is my number. He's not going to say that. He might hint at it. He might point at it. But he's not going to come out and say Liberty Media said I had this much money to spend. We just don't know what the answer is to that question. Yeah, gonna- especially especially the way that he operates. He doesn't want. Other teams no. having any information about what and he's they're gonna, and they're gonna they're gonna talk around it because they should. I mean, that's it's a, it's a, I mean it's a, it's a smart thing to do. Yeah, it'd be great if we knew what that number was. We're just not gonna know. So they absolutely should spend more. I'll be I'll be part of that pack of people that is upset if they don't spend more because I've already been critical of Liberty Media being sort of that absentee, very profit driven ownership group. I get why they do it because they're not. It's not one person. It's not one person that's just going to be trying to compete and win, and that sucks as a fan of a team. You, you do not want that you know shadow group that is in charge of your um, fate because it's much easier with one person to, A, yell at that person when things don't go well, but B, that person can get more competitive and they can go out and spend and just like want to win, and Liberty Media doesn't really care about that. I'm sure they want to win because it'll help their bottom line, but all, all things considered, they don't care about winning as much as fans do they just don't so there you go uh, it's it's a scenario where we just don't know and uh, we'll see what happens but all that to say that they have the money to spend if they want to spend it and if they don't spend it that's going to be the point where people there's already a lot of people that are upset about liberty media now even even in the shadow of a playoff run and all that great stuff we said at the beginning of the podcast people are already upset about them now not going more in during the season or before the season um and if they don't do it now people are going to get louder and I, I will probably be on their side, honestly. Yep, I agree. Uh, I've written about it before. You know, if, if hey, I, I had no issues with them not going crazy the last off season. But if they don't do this off season, where there's some real free agents and there's going to be some guys available in the trade market, and you've had a chance to evaluate all your prospects for a year as a new front office, if you can't, if you don't make moves now, that's on you, and that is a mistake. And they deserve <laughs> they deserve everything that they're going to get if that happens. Yep, absolutely. Uh, all right, that's probably enough about that. So we'll obviously spend a lot more time on free agency and spending and rumors and all that stuff when it starts kicking up in the, in the high gear, and um, that's probably good on that segment and the whole Major League Club, honestly, for this podcast. But there is one more thing I wanted to ask you about before I get you out the door here, Eric, and that is the Arizona Fall League. The one thing that's actually happening that involves Braves at this moment in time, this is out of my depth to be sure, but we're in the middle of it, and you are the prospect guru. So uh Tell people what they should know about the Arizona Fall League because I know people should be reading our site to read about it every single day, but what should they be paying attention to if they're not already? Okay, so the Arizona Fall League is uh, a short a short season, not quite winter ball league, um, that it, that takes place in Arizona where basically 
every team has to send some number of representatives. There's a bunch of weird requirements as to how many like high A and double A guys a team can send and all this other stuff. And that's frankly kind of boring. So we're not going to, we're not going to delve into that too much, but generally speaking, you'll have a mix of really good prospects and kind of more org filler types, depending on what is needed to, for, to fill out rosters in the Arizona fall league. And the Braves are definitely are, are, are sending some guys. Um, they've, well, it's been going on for about a week now. Uh, they have sent Thomas Burroughs, uh, who's a reliever. Adam McCreary, who we saw briefly in the majors, he was a, he's a reliever. Uh, Kyle Muller is a particularly good le- uh, lefty pitching prospect that I like a lot. Jeremy Walker is a starting pitching prospect. Braxton Davidson is a first base prospect that strikes out a lot. Ray Patrick Ditter is currently a shortstop, but I end up seeing him as kind of a utility guy that can play all over the field and play really well. Uh, and then we have the uh, Israel Israel Wilson, who's uh, Izzy's a outfield prospect. He's really toolsy. hasn't really put it all together in pro ball yet, but we still kind of we still like him. And then finally, we have Christian Pache, who's one of the better prospects in baseball. Um, and there, you won't see them play every day down there. Pache is probably going to get the most playing time out of all those guys. Obviously, pitchers aren't going to be pitching every day. And Izzy and Ditter and Braxton aren't the kind of prospects they're going to be seeing playing time a lot. But you'll definitely see them. You'll definitely see them in there from time to time. Uh, and oh, everyone seems to be performing reasonably well so far. Uh, Pache has some hit, already has some hits this past week, and he's kind of just getting going. Um, Braxton Davidson, I think, has appeared in one game and went over three with three strikeouts and a walk. Um, and you know, you'll see these guys appearing now and again. And we are actually going to be doing weekly uh, AFL recaps. Just to kind of, I mean, there's no real point in doing daily ones because again, you might only see one, maybe two Braves prospects that appear in these games on a day-to-day basis. Uh, they don't play on Sunday, but you can, you know, the box scores are relatively easy to find. It's not not any harder to find them than they would be for like normal minor league baseball uh, box scores and things like that. And there's a lot more importantly, there's a lot of eyes down there. There's a lot of, a lot of the big sites like Fangraphs. Uh, Keith Law, I'm sure, will make a trip down there. The Baseball America guys, they'll kind of know who's doing well down there and who isn't. You'll hear about them. But there's, basically the Braves are saying a lot of relievers, and the two big prospects you're going to want to look for are Christian Pache and Kyle Muller. Muller pitched pretty well in his first in his first appearance, and Pache's been doing reasonably well. But again, you won't really we won't really know much until kind of the end because of the way playing time works. But that's kind of the general gist of it, is that there's there, there is still baseball being played. It'll be played until the middle of November, and we'll kind of see how, how these guys do. But again, sort of... Take a lot of it with a grain of salt too, simply because this is the like they've already played a full season, and now they're playing an extra six, seven weeks of baseball. So you know, I wouldn't necessarily if you know Pache struggles or you know Israel Wilson goes crazy, it's kind of hard to draw too many conclusions because they're going, they're they have both been playing for a long time this year, and they're playing against guys who have also been playing for a long time this year. Yeah, so that that's probably a good place to put it, just because. It's something that I don't pay that close attention to, just because it's not really in my wheelhouse. But I also read all of what we have to offer on the web, on the site, and I'll bug Eric and others about what transpires. So that's probably what you guys should do too. Just check us out on TalkingChop.com. Listen to the podcast. If, if anything crazy happens, we'll definitely tell you about it. But um, please check out the site um, regularly because you always should be anyway. Um, so all right, that's probably a good place to end, Eric. Uh, any final thoughts you have? Please share them. But if not, please tell people where they can find your work in particular because you're you are also busy outside of TalkingChop.com. Yeah, I feel like I'm just kind of busy all the time at this point. Um, uh, First things first, let's make sure we plug all the talking chop stuff. There's going to be we're going to be doing a review of every player that is on the that is on the active roster for the Braves or was on the active roster for the Braves. Already ongoing right now. Yeah, it's ongoing right now. Uh, We're going to try to do one at least one of those a day. Uh, Actually, as soon as this podcast is done recording, I have to do some writing on those. 
after that, we're going to be kind of talking about free agent targets and, you know, what the offseason holds and all this stuff. So all that stuff is coming in the next month or two. Um, just because the baseball season is over doesn't mean that we're not going to be populating the site. Uh, frankly, it's, it's almost a little bit harder for us just because you have to kind of – the content doesn't generate itself from the game. So, But it's going to be a lot of fun because this is going to be a really big offseason for the Braves. And we're going to be kind of reflecting on the 2018 season, which was really fun. And then we're going to be talking about the future after that. So that's going to be in the next couple months. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K. Uh, I am going to plug my Twitter account because Brad gets mad at me when I don't. And yes. then uh, you can also follow my work over on MLB Daily Dish where I am the site manager over there. Um, that's going to be more trade rumors and general baseball news uh, with, uh, where we're trying to make a more of a push on original the original content side where like league-wide stories and things like that. And that's pretty much it. I mean, you'll you'll find me on you know radios you know here and there and things like that. But generally, what I'm going to be doing over the next couple couple months is going to be trying to you know kind of ease into the off season until we start having you know the fun winter meeting stuff to talk about. Yeah, sounds good. And uh, you know, follow Eric. You should be following Eric to be sure. At a very minimum, check out his Twitter account and check out the site. And hopefully, listen to this podcast, subscribe to this podcast, and engage with it. We're uh, always going to be here, even in the winter. Um, every once in a while, I might, I might take a week off if nothing's happening. But for the most part, every week from now until the end of time, you'll have uh, Talking Shop podcast in your ears. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everybody. Um, please stay tuned for what is, I'm sure was going to be a backbreaking announcement on Monday morning when it comes to uh, the coaching staff and making this. I, I was podcast. just. I was just checking text, checking Twitter to see if like it was going to break right when we were closing. I thought it that was. was uh, it's probably a given, honestly. But at a bare minimum, we'll have that to discuss on our next podcast, and hopefully some other stuff too. So stay tuned for that. Um, subscribe, everybody, and have a great rest of your week. Bye. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.